You're listening to an Economy Matters podcast produced by the Federal Reserve Bank of Atlanta. The Federal Open Market Committee concluded a two-day meeting earlier today. The pace of job today. growth has been strong. Downside risks to the outlook for the, the number economy. number of officials. Shadow banking system is large. We've come a long way since the darkest day of the financial crisis. Welcome to another Economy Matters podcast. I'm Charles Davidson, staff writer with Economy Matters, the Atlanta Fed's digital magazine. Today I'm chatting with Nell Campbell-Drake. Nell is Vice President of Strategic Business Relations and Outreach with the Fed's Retail Payments Office. Nell, thanks for being with us today. Thank you so much, Charles, for inviting me. Yeah, sure thing. So we're going to talk about payments. There's a lot going on in the payments world. Uh, technology is advancing quickly. Uh, faster payments, a huge topic. So we'll uh, we'll jump right into it here. Nell, can we start with a couple of baselines? First off, um, can you put in a little perspective just how big the payments industry is and how important it is to the economic life of the country? Charles, that is a very good question to start with. And as we think about the globe, services, payment services are nearly a $2 trillion a year industry, accounting for about a third of bank revenues, according to a McKinsey study. And to put some more perspective on just the U.S. payments landscape, the Federal, Federal Reserve Payment Study revealed that in 2015, Consumer business and government agencies executed about 144 billion non-cash and non-wire payment transactions, and that totaled about 178 trillion dollars. So that puts some perspective on how big the payments landscape is. And something else that's interesting too is that about 550 million payments worth about 680 billion dollars each day actually go through the U.S. payments landscape. So if you think about check transactions, which we have experienced a great decline with that particular payment instrument, we saw about 17.9 billion check transactions to occur um, from the 2015 payment study. And then lastly, talking about those transactions that flowed through the Automated Clearinghouse Network, which we call ACH, NACHA revealed that in 2017, there were about 21.5 billion transactions that were processed in the USACH network, and that was worth about $740 trillion. So that was an increase of about 5.7% in transactions and about 6.9% in value. Right. So now, j- just for folks who aren't payments uh, experts, ACH, what, what, what kind of payments typically go through that system? That's a good question, too. And ACH, again, it stands for Automated Clearinghouse. Think about your everyday life payments. If you are working, you usually get direct deposits. So now many businesses do not issue checks to their employees. So if you have direct deposits from your employer, that is going through the ACH network. Okay. All right. So uh, I think I mentioned faster payments in the in the intro. Big topic right now in the payments universe. So Uh, Now, what does that term really mean, and why is it a concern for the Fed? Why are we interested in faster payments? Faster encompasses a number of elements associated with a payment transaction. It includes such things as the origination and the clearing of the payments transaction, which allows a consumer business to have funds availability 
that, that goes to the respective beneficiary. It also includes the settlement of the transaction, that is the, the transaction finality between the two institutions, and this includes the originator of the transaction and the receiver of the transaction. So you think about the U.S. In our U.S., we have um, various platforms for making payment transactions, and what we've seen is that we need to improve our technology because there's so many advances taking place now that we're having to, to, to look at our technology to make sure that we're meeting the needs of the end users, and those end users include us as consumers as well as small businesses and corporations. And back in 2015, you may recall that the, the Fed did a study to identify what did we need to do to improve the U.S. payments landscape because we were behind some other jurisdictions and we felt it was important for us to take a really good assessment of what did we need to do so that we could remain relevant and we could make sure that our, our U.S. payment channel stayed safe, secure, accessible, and resilient. So one of the key things that we were looking at was the opportunity for to improve the speed in our, our payments landscape. It wasn't that it was slow, but there right. were still opportunities for us to include improve areas with regards to the flow of the transaction, the data flow that supported the transaction, and the availability of funds to the to the beneficiary. Right. So so now uh, the Fed was part of, or I guess we were one of the central. Uh, players in creating the task force, uh, the faster payments task force that I guess in a, in a nutshell has called for a faster, ubiquitous, meaning everywhere, inclusive, everyone can access it, and safe payment system. As you mentioned, the payment system we have now is not exactly slow, so why does it need to be faster? That That's a very interesting question. I would tell you, you will get different perspectives in regards to that. When you think about just the overall general public and the payments landscape, everybody has different preferences. So it's all about the end user's experience. And so we're not saying that some of the channels that we have in place today are not meeting those needs, but there are opportunities for improvements to accommodate those who want things a little faster. So as we began to look at our U.S. payments landscape, we realized that there were opportunities to enhance the existing technologies that we have, as well as opportunities to look at new opportunities. And this is what created the formation of the task forces that the Federal Reserve facilitated. And there were actually two task forces. One was the Faster Payments Task Force, and the second one was the Secure Payments Task Force. A lot of emphasis was initially placed on the Faster Payments Task Force, and it had three objectives. The first one was to represent the views of the industry stakeholders in the U.S. payments landscape. Our landscape is completely different than many other jurisdictions. In our database that we maintain here at the Federal Reserve, we have over 12,000 routing numbers representing over 8,000 organizations that are part of the payments landscape. So that show reflects some complexities that we have um, and just trying to make sure that we have um, hear all voices and work as a cohesive unit in the U.S. around improving our payments landscape. So, the, now, if I can stop you very uh -huh. quickly, when you say jurisdiction, basically you mean other countries, Other right? countries, yes. That's okay. what I mean. Okay. And then the, the second piece that was important as we began to assess what did we need to do as far as improving our, our payments landscape from a faster perspective is we had to assess the capabilities, those that were there and those where we still felt we had gaps. And then the third one was to look at the opportunity to bring 
bring all of the stakeholders together to have that collaboration to determine what that we need to do from a faster perspective and any other and identify any other effort that they felt was important around our payments improvement efforts. Right, right. So to a normal consumer, what, what will faster payments really mean? What, you know, how, will, how will they see that in their day-to-day transactions, regular life? So for consumers, faster funds availability. Who doesn't want their money right. faster when they have been posted to their respective accounts? And then look at the opportunities where you can have same day for bill payments and not be charged late fees. So those are the two biggest benefits that I see from, from a consumer perspective. Right, right. So what else is going on now? What, what keeps you awake at night other than all this faster payments uh, business? Now, in all honesty, I really do try to get my rest at night, okay? (laughs) We all need that. (laughs) Because my days are already packed with interactions with colleagues across the district and system, and our role as a leader catalyst, a network operator, and a service provider in this payments landscape. But with this evolving payments landscape, there are a number of things that I think about as we look at the many choices that are available to consumers, large corporates, and businesses regarding the opportunities for their, their financial services experience. You think about some of the options that we have now. You have Zelle, you have Venmo, you have Cash App that's that's um, offered by Square, you have PayPal, which actually owns the Venmo choice. But these choices for some have created chaos, and for others it's just created an improved um, payments experience. But they still align with the opportunities for us in the Fed and our role to really embrace the, the needs that are in the market and then work with our industry stakeholders to look at the opportunities for a digitalized, faster, cheaper, and more transparent experience for those end users. Right, right. So what you were talking about there, I think, falls under the heading of, of what we refer to as fintech, financial technology squeezed together to form a new word. Uh, so what is it that... Uh, that you and other Fed payments leaders track most closely when it comes to the financial technology sector? Yeah, that FinTech footprint is is definitely changing and shaping the payment space. So when we talk about FinTech, they are looking into that niche market where they can focus on faster funds availability, the supporting information that goes with the payment instruction, along with cheaper fees and security from an authentication perspective. They are really focused on that digital savvy user, offering that experience that's faster, cheaper, and transparent. Right, right. So now here at the Fed, we often point to our role as what we call a convener, bringing people together basically to talk about stuff. Uh, So in the payments industry, especially at a time like this when things seem to be in a real state of flux and things are changing quickly, can you talk about why that's important right now in in the payment space? As I previously stated, we we play a big role in in the, the U.S. payments footprint. And we are a respected neutral entity because we are that convener of stakeholders, and, and you have to be mindful that many of these stakeholders have different interests and different perspectives. But we are recognized as that leader in influencing the evolution of the improvements of the payment system. And that is very complex. But we can convene those, those stakeholders where they feel that they have a voice. So as we, we look to work with the thousands of institutions, the millions of individuals, the millions of businesses, 
services that we have. We want to make sure that we bring everyone together so that we can ensure that the needs of the end users are being met. Now, if we see that the, the market cannot meet those needs, that is when we step in and look at those opportunities where we can provide services to make sure we're keeping the market competitive and the, the consumer's needs are being met. Right, right. So now, now uh, turn into some sort of internal Fed payments material here, the RPO, the Retail Payments Office. We call it the RPO for short. We like acronyms. Working on a major multi-year upgrade of its core Fed ACH processing machinery, I'll call it. So what are the main things that uh, folks might want to know about that? Yes, we are moving to that next generation platform to focus on driving future cost and operational efficiencies, but still providing flexibility and adaptability to the market changes and our customer needs. Our efforts have basically included three work streams. One is activities to strengthen our retail payments technology processes that we have in place because, again, we are an ACH operator and we provide check services on behalf of the Federal Reserve System. We're also looking to upgrade the ACH infrastructure. And then that third work stream is where we're looking to identify a solution that will provide a modernized ACH platform for us that's agile in order for us to be able to meet the needs of our customers, which includes um, financial institutions and service providers in the payment space in the U.S. Right. Well, now, now, if I'm not mistaken, and you mentioned earlier some of the new newer payment services, but they still use the same basic sort of plumbing or infrastructure to process and settle the transactions, I believe. So in, in the payments industry, I think people refer to those as rails, the old rails. Uh, can they handle it? Can the old rails handle this stuff? Yes, the old rails can handle it. But I must say this, old and legacy, I, I actually call them mature proven rails. I like that. I can refer to myself that <laughs> and they, way. Yeah, and they Mature and proven. <laughs> and these rails continue to be trusted rails, too. But with the, the various faster payments options that we have, especially on the front end, that are available to customers and businesses, such as the Zells, the Venmos, the Cash Outs, these solutions are users of these mature rails. And those mature rails are the ACH rail and the CART rail. The clearing and settlement for those front-end tools that allow for faster options for funds availability on the back end, they use those mature rails for settlement. But enhancements are continuing to occur with these more mature rails. For example, same-day ACH is, is a good one to, to share from an ACH network perspective. As you begin to look at the opportunities to have faster clearing and settlement, which helps with the funds availability, the, the ACH network decided that they wanted to look at other additional windows to allow for the same day of payment transactions that were originated to be settled on the day of origination. Right. And NACHA worked very closely with the two ACH operators in the U.S., us and the private sector operator. And starting in 2016, they began to implement additional windows in the U.S. ACH network. Now, for the Fed, we were truly a thought leader and an influencer in that work. Because you may remember that back in 2010, we were 
actually the first to test the waters for same-day ACH transactions. It was an opt-in service, but it did allow the industry to get a taste of what same-day and the ACH network would entail. And then when Nacha decided that they wanted to pursue something that would encompass the industry in the U.S., this is when we partnered in our role as an, as an operator to support those efforts. But again, we, we really were the thought leaders um, and the enforcers in working with Notch in the industry on bringing same day more holistically to the U.S. ACH network. Right. Now, when you say NACHA, that's the trade association, basically, for the yeah. payments industry, right? Actually, NACHA, which stands for the National Automated Clearinghouse Association, is the rulemaking body for the ACH network. So their focus is on ACH, but they work collaboratively with industry stakeholders and in looking at opportunities for things to be leveraged in the ACH network with other payment um, channels as well. So uh, going back for a minute now to the Faster Payments Task Force, So it recommended that the Fed explore some other roles that we might need to play uh, to support ubiquity, competition, and equitable access to faster payments. So where where could that lead? What what could come of that? Well, one of the recommendations of the task force was definitely centered around infrastructure, and there was a request for the Fed to enhance its settlement mechanisms. So this was embraced, and on October 3rd, 2018, the Board of Governors published a Federal Register notice requesting public comments on the potential actions that the Fed could take to improve interbank settlement from a faster payments perspective. Right, interbank meaning bank to bank, Bank to bank, right, right. So the notice actually outlined two areas that the Fed wanted to obtain comments from the public on. One was a service for real-time gross settlement of faster payments that would be available 24-7, 365 days. And the second was a liquidity management tool that would enable transfers between Federal Reserve accounts on a 24-7, 365 basis to, to support faster payments provided by private sector and the reserve banks. So what this meant was currently, you know, we do not have settlement processes that accommodate 24-7, 365. So this means that now we would really have those tools necessary to accommodate a real a, a real-time process in that fast, faster payments arena. This is being explored. Comments were due by December 14th, and now the Board of Governors is assessing, compiling and assessing those results, and they are looking to come out with a response on the direction that the Fed will take, if any, around next steps. All right. All right. So that's the Federal Reserve Board of Governors. So uh, in, in the documents from the task force, the reports and so on, there's a lot of, a lot of language about equitable access and ubiquity uh, access to the payment system. Can you talk a little bit about why that's important now? And are, are those real concerns that some people might not have access? That is concern. Financial um, inclusion is, is very important because you want accessibility amongst the masses as you begin to look at the overall U.S. payments landscape and financial services in particular. And then think about our, our payments landscape. One of the things that we definitely have a mission here at the Fed and working with our industry stakeholders is ensuring that the payments landscape stays efficient, safe, and faster payments stay safe 
and secure, and we don't have any type of quality issues with regards to the flow of those payment transactions um, in the U.S. landscape. You also have to think about a very secure and efficient payments system also boosts economic growth and global competitiveness, and that is something that we want to continue to, to look at. And then, again, the unbanked and underbanked, that is very important because financial inclusion also helps with economic inclusion. Right, right. And when we say unbanked, it means basically people who don't have a traditional bank account, yeah, right? people who don't have that traditional bank account, and they're going to look at other alternatives to accommodate their financial services. And then the underbank of those who are still challenged in being able to have the opportunity to participate um, in the whole financial services footprint. Right. And some, and some of those people end up accessing vehicles f- that aren't necessarily in in the long run, the healthy for themselves financially, right. Right, right? And it's it's also important to to understand too that some make a choice to right. be unbanked and and underbanked. It really depends on 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 the decisions that they are looking to make um, in their day to day lives. But we still, as as the central bank, want to make sure that there's accessibility for all. Right, right, right. So that's very important. Uh, so now in the U.S., I think our system is, is a little bit different from, say, the U.K. Or, 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 or the EU more broadly. We have various competing faster payments products and services. What are, are there pros and cons of, uh, of our sort of approach? Well, I would tell you that my, my view is that multiple options are good, and we do have a variety of options that are available to our, to our end users. And again, that's on the front end to help them if they are um, handling their services through a financial entity, and on the back end to help those who are planning this, in this payment space to be able to complete settlement of those transactions. What what's interesting here is around preferences. And I always think about the four generations that are in the workplace. And when you think about that, we all have different preferences. And just to share a few, you have... Um, Don't call me old. I'm not going to call. I never call <laughs> you old. But, but when you think about it, just think about what those who are playing in the space, what they are challenged with. Can you have, you, you got the four generations, baby boomers. Okay, simplicity is very important. They still use cards, but they are the they are the generation that still uses cash the most. Then you have Generation X. Efficiency is very important for Generation X, but that's also the generation that has the highest debt because many of them plan off school school loans. But they love to use their cards because of the rewards that come with it. Then you have the millennials. This is where fintech is coming in quite heavily because they are very digital savvy. They're not heavy users of credit cards, but they do use their debit cards. They are addicted to mobile apps, and they love social media. So influence via social media and word of mouth is very important. And then you have the Generation Z, profound interest in visuals. So if you're trying to attract, you got to have images. you got to have color because that is what attracts them. They're very budget conscious, and they're heavy online shoppers. And the key thing you have to remember about them is they go through life with a smartphone in their hand. So digital savvy is really important, um, an important attractor for them as well. Right. So, uh, Nell, another term that, that you see in the, in the literature and in the, in specifically in the Faster Payments Task Force report is data-rich payments 
What, what does that mean and why, why is that important? When you think about yourself and you, you've had a payment processed, if you had to visit a doctor, and you will get an explanation of benefits in the mail, or sometimes you may get it electronically. It includes remittance information that right. is important to the visit that you have. So data-rich payments relates to that information or remittance information is what we call it to support that particular payment transaction. That is very important to the finality and the reconciliation process that is associated with a payment. It also helps an audit and it helps for those who are a part of the compliance processes in the respective institutions because information can help in the payments front mitigate risk and mitigate any type of fraud. So this is basically telling you oh, I, I remember this transaction now. I spent $78 mm-hmm. at CVS or whatever. Correct. So it can help the consumer, too. It can help the consumer. Keep, keep records. And it can definitely help businesses and corporates. What, what we are really focused on now through a number of efforts that we have underway is standardization of that remittance information, in which we'll call it messaging, mm-hmm. because we don't have a lot of consistency now. So just thinking, think about certain entities. They send some level of information, while others may send another level of information. And that creates a lot of challenges around interoperability and being able to complete some consistency and backroom reconciliation processes. So standardizing the data that flows, allowing for some some interoperability and consistency is is very important in the payments front. Right, right. Okay, now one last question here, and this may be one that's that's kind of... uh, kind of a simpleton sort of question to ask, but I have to. Are we going to see paper money disappear in our lifetime, good old <laughs> U.S. dollars? I don't believe it's going to, to occur anytime soon. I really will say it's a long ways off. And I would tell you, I, I have conversations with my family members and friends and with my, my professional colleagues about the evolution of payments, and cash will come up. But what also was interesting is in that conversation, there's always something about data security, um, cyber security, the risk, the fraud that is incur- that's occurring in the, in the financial services landscape. One thing you have to keep in mind is people are saying now privacy is gone. But with cash and the anonymity that occurs with cash, it's getting a lot of traction again. So that's why I say it may be a long ways off before we become a cashless society. You know, we were supposed to be a checklist society by now, but as I stated in the 2015 study, there's still 17.9 billion checks that were written during that time. So I, I think we got a long ways before we become a checklist and a cashless society in the United States. Yeah, yeah. So things are changing, but some things are are not changing as quickly as uh, as as some figure they would. Yes. Well, now I have f- a little cash in my pocket now. <laughs> yeah, I think I've got about three dollars in my wallet. Okay. <laughs> well, no, thanks so much for your time. That was really interesting. Thank you. Okay, thank you so much for the time as well. All right, and thanks for listening. And come back to frbatlanta.org to to find more research and information about the payment system. And tune in next month. We'll have another Economy Matters podcast. We're going to visit with one of our research economists, Julie Hotchkiss. For we're going to discuss some fascinating research she's done on something called high-pressure economies. It takes a little bit of explaining, but basically that's when the labor markets get super, super tight, and those periods tend to be followed by recessions. So anyway, tune in. Uh, a lot to learn there. Thanks so much. 
This has been a production of the Federal Reserve Bank of Atlanta. For more podcasts on this topic and others, please visit the Atlanta Fed's website at frbatlanta.org.